Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. We're going to go through Psalm 5, which Pastor LeVan just read. Now, we are unaware of the historical situation that would have produced this psalm, but it is clearly one of distress. King David is under some type of pressure from the enemies of God and he finds himself out of sorts and in a desperate situation. And as he turns to God in prayer, he finds God changing and recalibrating him. Do you understand the, the meaning of the word recalibrate? The technical definition is to correct a measuring process by checking or adjusting again in comparison with a standard. To correct a measuring process by checking or adjusting again in comparison with a standard. You understand this concept if you have one of those old scales. You stand on it and you freak out because you've gained like 10 pounds. And you're like, that can't be right. And you look and you see it's off, right? And you have to reset it to the standard of zero. You're like, ah, that's perfect. Oh, I've gained 15 pounds. No, no, it's not like that. So it's the, the idea is that there's a standard you set to, you readjust, you recalibrate. And, and David, he's been out of sorts. There's been enemies attacking. There's a lot of stuff going on. And he feels off and he comes back to God, the standard, and he's recalibrated. Now, there's a lot of things that can bump us and can knock us off and that can uh, bring us discouragement and distraction. And and one of those um, things that happens in my life is something called um, ghosted. I don't know if you're not familiar with the term ghosted. Well, the, the general term is used when a guy and a girl are dating and like they're dating, everything's going great. And then one of them just totally disappears, ghosts the other, doesn't text, doesn't call, just is gone. And maybe you've experienced this in the village with some of your friends. You're hanging out. You're having a great time. And they just appear. No text, no nothing. And one of the biggest discouragements that happens within the church is when people ghost the church or I feel like they ghost me. We're, they're in the church. We're praying together. We're loving them. And everything's going great. And then they just disappear without a word. And it's, it's really discouraging And David, he has people close to him, even his family members that are on his side that not only ghost him, plenty of stories of that, but then they turn against him and persecute him. And that's what's going on here. And when that happens, that can throw you off and you need the word of God to recalibrate you, to bring you back to what's true. And as we look at this Psalm, I think we're going to be encouraged, especially for some of you who just kind of feel off right now. Something's happened. Kind of feel like, oh, I am just not doing right right now. The word of God, by his grace, is going to recalibrate you this morning. So let's go ahead and jump into Psalm 5, verses 1 and 2. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning or sighing. Heed the sound of my cry, 
for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. So David is, is groaning, he's sighing, he's crying out to God in prayer. And it's interesting that God hears these different aspects of our voiced prayers and words and our sighs and our groans. The Lord hears these things. And as David is praying this, he's asking God to give attention to his situation. And the situation must be serious because David can't fix it. He's the king, all authority, all power, all the money he wants, and he can't fix it. And when things like that and situations like that come in my life, it bothers me because I'd like to view myself as a fixer. Anybody else? You're the fixer. Circumstances are messed up. You can go in there and fix them. Or if people or relationships are off, you want to get in there and you, you want to fix it. But I'm starting to realize as I interact with people and circumstances that there is less and less things I can fix in life. And David is the king who can't fix it. And so he turns to the king who can fix it. Look at verse three. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. It's the morning time, so David's praying and perhaps it's, it's accompanied the, the morning animal sacrifice in, in the tabernacle. And it's interesting, it's in the morning that he, he has this greatest sense of need, right? We kind of feel this in the morning. All the problems come up to his head as, as soon as he wakes up. He, he, he wakes up and he's facing these things. And he, he prays to the true king and it says that he eagerly watches. And part of his watching is that he actually expects God to act, He's not having a quiet time so he doesn't feel guilty. He's not just saying, oh, I need to have my little devotional so I can have my boost for the day. He's like, no, I'm praying in the morning because I expect God to do something. He's watching, but he is not watching passively. One of the things that we're going to notice is that passively, he's not just going to sit there and pray and just hang back. He's going to contemplate the character of God. He's got this active watching and thinking great thoughts about God. Too many times when I think that I can fix a problem in my life, I think it can be fixed through worry. Have any of your problems ever been fixed through worry? No. Not at all. And so what we do, we go, okay, that's not working, so now I'm going to pray. And so you pray, and in your prayer, you're rehashing all your problems to God, and when you finish, you're more worried than when you started. Anybody? It's like, I, I, gave, I gave it all to you, now I'm even more worried, more anxious. And part of the reason why that happens is because we're just rehashing the same issues to God, and we're not contemplating the character of God. You've got to think about who God is. And that's what David is doing. Look as he watches and considers the character of God. Verse four. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. You ever wonder what God thinks about wickedness? Well, it says specifically he takes no pleasure in it. No evil dwells with him. And, and it's not like God sees wickedness and it's like a virus. And he's like, oh, I got to stay away from the virus. No, no. 
Wickedness is an affront to him. Sinful people are in danger of being destroyed, and those who do evil cannot dwell with God because he is holy. In fact, he says that they are objects of his hatred. Look at verse 5 and 6. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. These are words in the Bible. Maybe you didn't grow up hearing these in church. Maybe these weren't taught in your Sunday school. But this is strong language about God. It says specifically that he hates all evildoers. He destroys those who speak lies. He abhors deceitful people. And he loathes the person who sheds blood. One time I was at this nice event. It was nice and comfortable. And I sat next to this guy. I didn't know him at all. And we just struck up a conversation. And we started talking about religion. And this guy had read a lot of books on religion. And we were talking about, or I was talking about the gospel and what that all entails and the cross and and the wrath of God. And he said, no, no, no. There is no way that I believe in a God of wrath or judgment. Now, mind you, we were in a comfortable setting. It's relaxed, air conditioner's on, and we're just sitting there talking. And he's like, God is a God of love and a God of mercy, not a God of wrath or judgment. Here's the deal. When we talk to people who don't know Jesus about God, we have to give an accurate depiction of God. So yes, God is a God of love and mercy, but he's also a God of wrath and judgment. And David specifically is honing in on the fact that that God is one of judgment and, and wrath. And you may think, well, that, that's interesting. Because maybe you've never thought of God being a God of wrath and judgment. And, and I think perhaps one of the reasons why that's the case is that we ignore the word of God and we're really comfortable. A good friend of mine in Chicago, his name is Kavidi Kakama, and he pastored a church just around the corner from me, a Congolese congregation. And Kavidi and I would hang out. We'd have these soccer events together with our churches. We'd share joint services. And we were just good friends. Kavidi comes from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Genocide of five million people. Systemic rape during that time. My buddy at the comfortable event saying, oh, God's God of love and mercy. That's not going to bring much hope. That's not going to bring much peace. That there could be an opportunity for deliverance. My brothers and sisters from the Congo, they lean into these verses. God's a God of judgment. God's a God of wrath. Our God can do something. He'll either intervene now in the present or he'll intervene in the future. My brothers and sisters, we got to stick to the word Mercy and grace, judgment and wrath. You need both or you're misrepresenting God. David continues. Verse 7. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. Now for any of you, 
I encourage you to ask questions when you study the Bible. Right now, you should be asking big questions because David just said, there are murderers, bloodthirsty men, bring your wrath, bring your judgment. But as for me, I'm going to go into the temple and I'm going to bow down before you. And we have to say, wait, 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 stop. David, didn't you commit adultery? And didn't you have the woman's husband killed? David, an adulterer. David, a murderer. David, bloodthirsty, comes into the presence of God. And you got to ask yourself the question, how's that possible? Look again at verse 7. He says, by your abundant graciousness, I will enter. Now stick with me here. Don't let me lose you. David can enter God's presence because of God's abundant grace and steadfast love. Now, if you're not careful, you may say, okay, so David can come into God's presence because God is a God of love and sinners like David can be accepted. But that's not the whole story. What about God's holiness? What about God's righteous judgment against sin? How do we make sense of a God who is righteous judge and yet full of steadfast love. So stick with me. Don't lose you. It's not as though God doesn't do anything about David's sin. It's not as if God doesn't do anything about your sin or my sin because God is a righteous judge and he must judge sin or we will be destroyed in his presence. So how could David come into the presence of God? Well, first I want to say this. People in the Old Testament are not saved by works. Does that blow your mind? It's true. People in the Old Testament are saved by faith. Okay? So here's the deal. David comes into the presence of God, and God accepts him by faith because God is temporarily passing over David's sin and storing up wrath for a later day. When is that later day? That later day of wrath being poured out for David's sin and all the Old Testament saints by faith is being poured out on Jesus Christ. That's how David's saved. That's how David can enter. And we see a perfect picture of God's love and mercy, justice and wrath on the cross. You understand that? God's love and mercy towards sinners, open arms, come to me, come to me, come to me but I'm going to punish your sin and I'm going to punish it on Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice. The cross blares God's character, love and mercy, judgment and wrath, all on the cross. You get it? So David has some awareness, an adequate understanding of God's righteous judgment, but how about us? We get it. We realize we are sinners. Jesus took wrath. We receive his love by faith. Let's keep going. Verse eight. Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. Now, this is a prayer for more recalibration. And I want to, last night we did this verse for family worship. And David is asking to be led in the way of righteousness. He needs divine guidance. Because when, when wicked people are coming your way. It can just throw you off. And whether you are uh, my kids, 
who are, who are younger, 10, 11, or, or 14, that you think, oh, it's just for them. When they have hard times, then they may be tempted to stray. No, no, it's for us. When we have hard times, we may be tempted to stray. And the prayer is, lead me, O Lord, in your path of righteousness. Make your way straight before me. People around may be corrupt. I don't want to fall into it. Lead me in the straight path. People may be hooking up online. I may be tempted. Lead me in the straight path. People in the village may be trash talking other people. I kind of want to jump in. Lord, lead me in the straight path. That's the prayer. He's asking to continue to have his mind and his heart recalibrate so he can walk the righteous path. Verses 9 and 10. For there is nothing trustworthy in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them pay, God. Have them fall by their own schemes. Scatter them in the multitude of their wrongdoings, for they are rebellious against you. David seems to have been generally talking about God's righteous judgment and hatred for sin. And here he's getting really specific, talking about the sins of his enemies. They're liars, deceivers, and their very nature is to destroy And then he makes this summarizing general statement in verse 10. He says, for they have rebelled against you. It's not that David is any better. It's not that you are any better. When you read that, you may think that God is talking about someone else who's wicked. But I'm, I'm just curious. How many of you recognize what we just read as something that shows up in the New Testament? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. You're like, well, where does that show up in the New Testament? Oh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 3 quotes that right there. And what he's doing, he's talking about the universal judgment of God upon sinners. Not out there, but in here. And in here. That God's judgment and wrath is against all of us that get this. There is no one who does good. No, not one. No one. So it's not like we look out, we go, well, look at all those bad sinners. Look at all those people in the village. Well, they're terrible. No, no. What about me? Object of God's wrath. And yet, what do I get? I get grace. I get love. I get mercy. Why? Because by faith, I trust in Jesus who took the wrath and the judgment for me. Do you see how that's good news for everyone? who puts their faith in Jesus. When we talk to people about Christ, we're not saying, hey, come over here and be good like me because I'm gonna get in. If you're good, you can get in. No, come over here. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about God's anger and wrath against sin, but it's no longer aimed at me because it was aimed at Jesus. That is good news. We're not calling anybody just to be a good person because there's no one good. And we see the fullness of God's love and mercy, justice and wrath in the cross of Jesus. And so David finishes up. He brings the community into things. He says, but rejoice. Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And may you shelter them that those who love your name may exult in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield. Here's David, he's bringing the community in. He's bringing the people of God in. He says, come on, let's just rejoice. 
This is a man, David, who's gone in for the overhaul of full recalibration down to the core of his being. He starts out all dazed and confused and off because the enemy's against him and he ends up rejoicing. He invites the people of God in and he says, hey, come rejoice with me. You see, when we're off, we have to recalibrate, reset to the word of God. You can't pull it off on your own. You can't pull it off yourself. You've got to let the word of God be the standard that brings your mind and your thinking back in order. And there's two things I kind of want to share with you in closing. And the first is this. The mornings, each morning of the week, the morning is for recalibration. The morning is for recalibration. Now, I'm not dogging the night for all of you who love to be night owls, but I know this. When I wake up in the morning, I don't wake up and go, wow, all is great. I wake up in the morning and I go, wow, my problems have followed me to the next day. And I don't usually quote C.S. Lewis. He's a great author, but I'm going to quote him right now on the best quote that I've had for him. I've been using this quote since I was newly saved in college because I think it sums up what I feel even now. Let me read it to you. Here's the problem that we have in the Christian life. The real problem that the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your hopes and wishes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view. You ever, you ever experience that? You wake up and the wild animals come rushing at you of your problems, the wild animals of your temptations, your worries, and your fears. They just come rushing at you to trample on you. And you can make it worse by opening up your phone and checking your email or your feed, right? That just makes it far worse. But here's what you got to do. Each morning you got to say, okay, okay, here's all the problems. They're rushing at me. All these things I got to do. These animals are trying to trample on me. You go, okay, stop. Stop it, animals. Leave me alone. And you pick up the word of God and you're going to listen for another voice, the voice of the Lord who will reset you, recalibrate you for that day. But don't think this. Don't think, oh, okay, so I've, I've spent some time with the Lord today. I've gotten the word today. So that means I'm going to be good for tomorrow or the rest of the week. No, no. This time in the word has to be a daily thing. And the second thing I want to share with you says, uh, is the day is for living a recalibrated life. And I think David knew the importance of this, of seeking God daily and walking his ways. But I want to show you something. I don't usually have you turn to passages at the end of the sermon, but I got to show you this. Can you see if you can find Deuteronomy? See if you can find Deuteronomy. It's in the Bible. Deuteronomy 17. Look in the table of contents if you need to. It's closer to the front of the Bible. Deuteronomy. I just have to share this with you. Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. It's interesting that in the law of the Lord giving in the book of Deuteronomy, that God addresses the kings as they come in a line of kings and what the kings are supposed to do on a daily basis, including David. All right, so Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 through 20. What am I reading? I'm reading what the king is supposed to do on a daily basis, including David. Here it is. Now it shall come about 
when he, the king, sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. So the king is supposed to copy the law that Deuteronomy lays out. The king is to copy it, write it down. It shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life, every day, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or the left so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. Write the word out, king. Keep it with you. Read it every single day. Why? Because my brothers and sisters, it seems as if when a new day comes, we get bumped, (laughs) the scale is off, and we have to reset it to zero. We cannot coast off yesterday's time in the word because there are things that are coming our way and we need daily the word of God. And aren't you so happy that every single king in Israel obeyed this? No, right? They didn't. That's the mess they're in, right? It's got to be a daily coming back to the word and say, Lord, I'm open to whatever you want to say to me today. Speak to me through your word. Speak to me truth. Recalibrate me. Get me fixed on the standard, which is you. I want to know your character. I want to know your love. I want to know your mercy. I want to know your wrath and your judgment that was placed on Jesus. It's a daily getting in the word and say, Lord, reset us. Reset me right now. Let's pray. Lord, we know through the history of Israel, there are kings far wealthier than us, far wiser than us, with far more power than us that have tanked their lives, who have tanked the country of Israel and they taken the people off into exile due to their sin. They did not hold on to your word daily, but ignored it thrust it aside and drift it. And Lord, don't let that be us. Don't let that be us as a church. Don't let that be us as individuals. And I pray for the sisters in here who may be really discouraged right now, filled with worry, thinking that perhaps they can fix a situation and wondering if excess worry is going to do it. And Lord, we know that's not the case. I just ask you to speak the truth to our sisters in here right now that they can turn whatever they're dealing with over to you and they can reflect on your character, on your mercy and love for them. And Lord, I pray for my brothers in here who are struggling and many of us want to be fixers of what we're dealing with. We want to fix it. We want to make sure it's right. And yet we're seeing more and more we're like David. We may have the power and the authority, but we cannot pull it off. And so we turn to you and we look to you for deliverance. We look to you for mercy. We look to you for grace. And Lord, I just ask that every single one of us in here will keep our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on the one who gives us life, who shows us your mercy and love, who shows us your judgment and wrath turned away from us. And may we be rooted in the cross and recalibrated and reset on you on a daily basis for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. 
You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.